Hey, we are so thankful that you're taking the time to tune into Grumlaw Church's podcast. It's our hope that this is an encouragement to you as you draw closer to Jesus. If you'd like to find out more about all things Grumlaw or for more info on our in-person gatherings, you can check us out at grumlaw.com. Now lean in. We're expectant for how God is going to use this time to speak to you today. Well, I want to begin today with an exercise, and this is going to be a bit of an all play. So I'm going to ask all of us to participate, no matter where you're watching from. And again, I can't really see what you're doing, but no Billy the Cool Kids. You don't wear coats in the middle of winter. I'm not cold. It's like, okay, come on, just let's let's all participate in this. Uh, I'm going to put a one-minute timer up here on the screen, and I'm going to have all of us attempt to hold our breath for exactly one minute. And, and I, I think it's important to note that all of us should be able to do this, Okay. So, so here we go. Let's try to hold our breath for, for one minute. Here we go. One, two, three, begin. Could you do it? I mean, it, like, <laughs> probably, oh, good. This is not setting me up for success here the rest of this message. For most of us, that probably just felt a, a heck of a lot harder than it probably should have been, right? So, so this is interesting to note. At, at one minute, uh, which we all just experienced, you begin to, to feel pain. At, at three minutes, uh, that's when most people will pass out. At five minutes, that, that's when people will actually begin to incur brain damage. And somewhere between 10 to 20 minutes is when people will typically die as a result of not getting any air, not getting any oxygen. Uh, for any of you who are curious, by the way, the world record for voluntarily holding your breath is 24 minutes and 37 seconds, which I looked that up. Like, I, I, I can't even get my head around that. Like, how is that even possible? Now, now, let's stay parked here for, for just a second. From, from zero to three minutes, as I just mentioned, you feel pain, right? Like you felt it probably for most of you, you felt it at a minute. Uh, but is there anything physically wrong from zero to three minutes? Are, are, are you physically hurting yourself in any way? The, the answer to that is, is no. That, that panic that you start to feel is a defense mechanism set up by God to protect you from the damage that could occur at, again, around that five-minute mark. So the mental signal says, hey, there's something wrong, panic, you're dying, give up, but, but nothing is actually wrong. So, so holding your breath for longer, and I was actually recently talking to my friend Daniel about this because he's doing a lot of free diving and uh, spear fishing. It's actually less of a physical exercise and more of, of a mental exercise. And I believe, and here's where this connects, I believe that the same is true for the practice of Jesus that we're going to be exploring today, silence, solitude, and meditation. Breathing, as you all know, right? It's just something we do. It's automatic. You don't think about it. So when we take it away, when we deprive ourselves of oxygen, we, we, we kind of panic. 
noise and, and busyness and activity and every second of every day filled with something. It's just kind of part of life. So, so put yourself into situations where you actually force yourself to, as it says in Psalm 46, be still and, and know that, that I am God. Well, actually, let's do it again. Let's, let's cue that one minute timer, just one minute of, of utter silence. Here, here we go. So again, that was, that was one minute. But, but I have to imagine that like me, that, that felt like, like a lot longer, right? Why does, why does one minute of, of utter silence almost feel like, like torture? Why does it feel like we're almost incapable of doing so? And, and you see, every single one of you who are watching right now, you're all smart enough to know that it's not because we aren't physically able to be still. It's not because we aren't physically able to be silent for one minute. It's far more of a mental exercise. Now, part of that is because we've been hardwired to be in community. We, as, as human beings, we, we are very social beings. But, but it also has to do with the fact that we have distracted ourselves, as especially Americans, we have distracted ourselves into oblivion. In particular, I'll say it because of our smartphones. We've, we've programmed our brains to believe that every second of every waking hour, honestly, sometimes not even just the waking hours, must be filled with, with something. Think about it this way. If there's a line at the store, what do you immediately do, right? You reach into your pocket for your phone. You're at your kid's basketball practice, soccer practice, band practice. Rather than being completely present and just watching your child, you're probably like aimlessly scrolling through Instagram content that you don't really need to consume. You pull up to a stoplight, right? For a lot of you, you immediately reach for the phone. In so many ways, technology, and particularly our phones, have robbed us of our ability to be present. But like truly, completely present and, and of at least equal concern have programmed our minds into believing that silence is actually a sign that something is wrong. We start getting like fidgety and, and irritable. Come on, we, we, we almost panic. In, in the words of St. Ricky, Bobby, I, I'm not sure what to do with my hands. What, what am I supposed to do with like all of this, this nothingness? But, but what if I told you that, that like holding your breath, that the potential is where the pain is? That, that if you were able to break through this mental wall, break away from, from what has become so normative, so pervasive, particularly in our first world American church context, that that is where you will find an intimacy with God that you never knew existed. That, that through silence, solitude, and meditation, you'll tap into a reservoir of goodness, intimacy, peace, and freedom that God has had waiting for you this entire time.
that, that he's had waiting for those who can push through the busyness, push through what has become acceptable, push through the pervasive, push through what has become normal, push through those mental walls. Hold on to that. We're going to come right back to it. Today, we continue in a series that we began at the beginning of this month. Today is, in fact, part four of 12, so we're about a third of the way through, and the name of the series is Following Jesus 101. And what we're doing is we are examining uh, what are most commonly referred to as spiritual disciplines. But, but because discipline can carry such a negative connotation and because spiritual can be misleading as we are examining habits of both mind and body, uh, we are instead opting for the language of practices of Jesus. We're examining those day-to-day rhythms that made up Jesus's life. And then like Jesus, we're, we're inviting you to adopt those rhythms as your own. And, and it's so important to note that, that Jesus, he, he doesn't command you to do this stuff. He rather just does these things, and then he extends a very simple invitation. He says, hey, follow me. See, religion, as some of you have experienced, is about coercion and control. But, but Jesus, and this is what really separates Jesus from all other world religions and why Christianity is appropriately labeled as a relationship, Jesus, rather than coercion and control, he is all about example and, and invitation. Now, if you're new around here, or maybe you're not super familiar with the life of Jesus, that's okay. We're, we're glad you're here. Uh, you're probably wondering, okay, what, what am I being invited to? Here is what Jesus offers to you. And this is kind of our theme verse here for this series. And keep in mind, these are the very words of, of Jesus captured for us by a guy who went by the name of, of Matthew. J- Jesus said, come to me, all of you. And, and great news for you that all of you very much includes you. All of you who are weary and and carry heavy burdens. I think we can all relate to that at some level. And he says, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart. And you will find that, that word again, rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. Jesus admittedly uses some language here that, that isn't super familiar to us, again, as we are people living in 21st century America. So, so allow me to explain. A, a yoke would typically have a place for, for the head of two oxen. And, and when one ox was stronger than that other ox, the second ox would benefit from the strength of the other and admittedly wouldn't have to work as hard. And, and so it is with Jesus. When you intentionally hitch your life to his, That is, you adopt his lifestyle. Because again, if you want the life, then you have to adopt the lifestyle. You quickly figure out that he bears all of the weight. In life, rather than being this arduous, stressful, burdensome ordeal, it sort of feels like you're just taking a walk. Church, I certainly don't say what what I'm about to say to brag. In fact, quite the opposite. (laughs) Without Jesus, I'd probably be curled up in a ball crying myself to sleep most nights. I I have four children, two of which brought to our family through adoption and subsequently a very broken court system. I'm a husband, been happily married now for for over 13 years. I pastor a multi-site church. I own and operate an an independent coffee shop that gives all of its profits away. I have plenty of hobbies that I like to keep up on. what I'm trying to say is like, I have a little bit going on in my life. And, and many of you have in fact actually commented like, Shay, it just feels like you're running at a pace that, that can't be sustainable. And, and that would be a very accurate assessment if I was doing it on my own. But fortunately for me, and subsequently, well, all of you who call this place your church home, I don't do it on my own. I've hitched my life to the one who has told me, and more importantly, shown me that it's not all for me to bear. 
And, and I can look out at all of you with full integrity and, and tell you honestly that most days, and I do say most because some days I, I do try to seize the reins and in turn suffer the consequences, most days it just feels like, like I'm taking a walk with my best friend. And, and it's precisely what he offers to every person watching right now. But again, if you want the life, the, the life that he describes, the life that he models, that easy and light life, then, then you have to adopt the lifestyle. And, and so if you were not here for the first three weeks, they were three very important weeks, uh, I would highly encourage you to head on over to grumlaw.com slash messages to get yourself caught up. Uh, or as always, you can find us under Grumlaw Church, wherever it is that you grab your podcast. Now, uh, as we dive into today's practice of Jesus, uh, I, I want to come clean and let you all know that, that of all of the practices of Jesus that we're going to explore in this series, uh, this is admittedly the one that I struggle with the most. And, and here's why I believe that that's really important that, that you hear that. It, it, it can often be perceived that the pastor is the expert on every single topic that is presented on a Sunday morning. And, and what so frequently happens within the big C church, that is the collective body of followers of Jesus at large, when a pastor's private life doesn't line up perfectly with his public persona or or what he talks about on a Sunday morning in particular, but people get hurt because of the pedestal that the pastor has been placed on. But, but y'all, I, I hope you picked up on this. I, I try to be just like really authentic from, from this stage when I speak. I, I don't try to present myself as like holier than thou. I, I'm a regular dude, just like all of you who are, who are watching right now. So, so I will speak this morning from great conviction on this topic, but, but I certainly haven't mastered this practice. That the evil one was certainly whispering in my ear as I was preparing for this message, like, Shay, you're a fraud. You're terrible at this. So, so I, again, I, I preach this as a deep conviction that doesn't come because I've mastered it, but rather it, it comes from a deep abiding conviction to the scriptures and the teachings of Jesus. You have my word, in fact, that I will never deconstruct my faith to fit the narrative of my personal experience. Rather, I'll construct my faith around the truths of the Bible and the teachings of Jesus. It's that whole idea of walk by faith, not by sight. Fair enough? Okay, so let's, let's dive in. Let's dive into to these practices that, that are the gateway to an intimacy with God that we will never discover, that we will never know otherwise. And, and we're going to start actually by defining these three terms, which are admittedly three different practices that could have easily each warranted their own Sunday, but, but in order to keep the series in front of Easter, we kind of just lumped them all together, and they do have something in common. So let's start there. What, what do these three have in common? Very simply, that they are best done alone, and as a prerequisite, that they require you to, it's like you have to do this, they require you to eliminate distractions, which is already established, is extremely counterculture. And for that reason, these practices are largely ignored by the American church. And when I say American church, I'm talking again about the collective body of followers of Jesus here in America. I, I believe that there's been a degree to which we've just kind of waved the white flag on these, but, but we here, at least at Grumlaw, we are committed to actually following Jesus. So, so let's push back against that. Uh, by the way, quick footnote here. This is why, and, and maybe some of you have picked up on this stuff, we've been very intentional about, for instance, asking you to actually get like, like a physical Bible. That there's nothing wrong with, with the YouVersion Bible app. In fact, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, you should definitely have that app on your phone. But, but if that's what you use for your daily encounter, it's inevitable that your attention will be pulled elsewhere by that glowing rectangle that sits in your hand. 
And, and so that's why in this series and actually moving forward, we are going to be selling study Bibles in our store, which you should definitely get one. We have free Bibles every single week here at Grumlaw. Get a free Bible. It, it's why we encourage, for instance, owners to sit in the front of the room on Sunday mornings. It, it kind of just forces you to be more engaged. It's why we will sometimes ask you during worship to just kind of like raise a hand. We, we know that that makes some people uncomfortable, but, but we're hoping that you will take a step physically and what do you know, watch how your heart follows. I can go on and on and on with all of these very intentional, call them uh, micro habits that we're encouraging you to take. That, that in and of themselves, admittedly, they don't have a ton of value, but collectively think like the snowball rolling down the hill. So, so let's define these terms. First up, silence. Silence is an intentional withdrawal from distracting noise. And, and very similarly, and why you often actually see silence and solitude joined at the hip, solitude is, is an intentional withdrawal from distracting people and things. So silence, an intentional withdrawal from distracting noise. Solitude, an intentional withdrawal from distracting people and things. And, and here's what is so, so important. You're not eliminating all those distractions so that you can merely just kind of sit in silence without anyone or anything bothering you. That, that's not the end of this. At the heart of these practices is a word that all of us, at, at least to some degree, struggle to master. Listening. Listening for the small, still voice of God. As Richard Foster notes, simply to refrain from talking without a heart listening to God is not silence. By the way, I will shamelessly plug uh, this fellow's book right now as well. It's called The Celebration of Discipline. We have like a ton of copies of these books available in our store, and we'll have those throughout this series. If you're watching, obviously, online right now, you can grab this book, Celebration of Discipline, wherever books are sold. Admittedly, uh, we do not have time to completely unpack each one of these disciplines uh, in this series. Uh, we're limited, but like 30 minutes each Sunday to talk about these things. So again, that book does a fantastic job diving into even greater detail and explanation on these spiritual disciplines, on these practices of Jesus. Now, there are two primary challenges associated with these practices of Jesus, silence, solitude, and meditation. One, we find it extraordinarily difficult as 21st century Americans to rid ourselves of distractions. We already talked about that. M many of you, you can't even remember the last time that your phone wasn't within an arm's length. Two, it's within silence and solitude that we don't have anything to distract us from what God may want to speak into our lives. See, the reality is that for a lot of you who are watching right now, uh, you already know what God wants to say. <laughs> and, and at least part of the reason that you have not cultivated this practice into your life is because if you give him the space, you know exactly what he's going to say. And, and thus you'll actually be forced to either be blatantly disobedient or you'll actually have to make like drastic wholesale changes to your life. It's, it's like that friend that keeps calling you and you, you know exactly what, what they're calling you about and you know that you probably should take the call, but you don't really want to deal with what they're calling about. So you just keep tapping and ignore and you keep sending that thing to voicemail. You know that God's going to ask you to, to adopt. You know he's going to ask you to hand him control of everything, and including your wallet. And you don't really want to do that tithe thing. You know he's going to ask you to get out of that relationship. You know he's going to tell you to switch careers. You know he's going to tell you to downsize. You, you've actually had a good inclination for some time, but at least now you, 
You get to hide behind ignorance. Well, he, he never told me that, which is fine if, if you're merely believing in Jesus. But for those of us who are actually attempting to follow him, we, we need to. We, we get to hear directly from, from God. Now, I, I believe that there is a passage in 1 Kings, the book that we find in the Old Testament, that first half of the Bible, that, that illustrates this so beautifully. Uh, this particular passage, it centers around a guy who went by the name of uh, Elijah. Uh, Elijah was an Old Testament prophet, which means that this is somebody that, that God spoke to directly and spoke through directly. Back at this point, the Holy Spirit had not been poured out on all followers of God, and so God would speak through uh, very specific people, and Elijah being one of the most prominent. And at this point in his life, Elijah, he, he's being hunted down like a dog by a woman who went by the name of Jezebel. Now, when you hear the name Jezebel, if you immediately kind of think of like a negative connotation, uh, this is why. It's because of this particular Jezebel. And Elijah, he has seen at this point in his life, God work in these miraculous ways. And, and he wants to, God, to see God do that again. In fact, he wants God to enact vengeance on Jezebel and these other people that are hunting him down. I mean, after all, who wouldn't submit to God once he showed off in such a profound way in the same ways that he had done before? But, but God chose to use this moment in Elijah's life to remind him of something. Th th this moment where, where he was living in fear, this moment where, again, he was not wondering, he was wondering if he's even gonna survive to see another day. He, he chose to bring Elijah back to his first love. And so he comes to Elijah while he's in hiding and he says, go out, and stand before me on the mountain. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, <laughs> there was the sound of a gentle whisper. As we talked about last week, relationships are not built off of the dramatic. Sure, events like this, earthquakes and wind and fire, they might grab our attention, but, but when we think about it, those moments quickly fade. R relationships are built on communication. In, in the quiet, still place, alone, free of distractions with just you and God. Not, not only you talking to God, but also affording God the space where, where he's free of the noise in your life to speak to you. Uh, Elijah is one of the greatest prophets recorded in scripture. We got a lot of content on Elijah. God used him mightily. But Elijah was also getting distracted. He, he was forgetting where the miraculous was born from. So, so God took him back to the quiet place reminded him where the closeness, where, where that intimacy was birthed out of. Church, God will sometimes speak very loudly. He'll allow something, he'll do something drastic to grab our attention, to, to break us away from all of the hustle and bustle of our lives. But, but that's not how it usually goes. He usually speaks in a whisper, in, in the quiet. When it's, when it's just you and, and him. So, so when we forfeit silence and solitude, you, you, you miss out on the richness that comes from, from hearing directly from God. The, the peace, the calm, the, the freedom that flows from that. 
You'll operate within your own understanding and from your own intuition and continue to suffer the consequences accordingly. So if the point of silence and solitude is so that we may listen and subsequently hear from God, what might that look like, like very practically? Because I recognize that probably a good number of you who are watching, listening right now, you've never really attempted to practice this. So step one, and you probably notice how this spills over into a number of these disciplines. Uh, you got to eliminate distractions. We've, we've already said it this morning, and we said it two weeks ago. Find a time and find a place where you can actually be alone and present with God. I'm begging you, put your phone in another room on airplane mode. Find a place where, where you can't hear anything else, where, again, you can be completely present. Get, get a white noise machine, whatever it takes so that you can actually be alone and present with God. I, I was talking with my friend John this week on, on this particular subject, actually calling to pick his brain, and he shared with me that, that he'll take 10 minutes at the beginning of his quiet time to just write down everything that he needs to do for the day so he's not thinking about all of that stuff during the time when he's trying to hear from God because he's smart enough to know that he's like, man, if I don't get this stuff down in writing, if I don't get my to-do list down, that's all I'm going to be thinking about during my time with God. So do whatever you need to do so that you can actually be present. Eliminate distractions. Number two, meditate. You thought I'd forgotten about meditation. If you've never practiced this, start by declaring what is true. And here would be a very simple prayer that you could take. Heavenly Father, I I have nothing to gain, nothing to lose, nothing to show, and nothing to prove. Heavenly Father, I have nothing to gain, nothing to lose, nothing to show, and nothing to prove. In, In a world that is almost entirely driven by performance, You're acknowledging here that this has nothing, this silence, solitude, meditating, you acknowledge that this has nothing to do with performance. As we often remind you, there's there's nothing you can do to get God to love you more. And there's nothing you can do to get God to love you less. God declared his love for you when he sent his one and only son to die for you. For God so loved you that he gave his one and only son. Admittedly, this is easier said than done because of, again, all that we experience, all that we have been told. So so I would invite you to to meditate on these two scriptures specifically. The first we find in a letter that Paul wrote to the early Christian church in Rome. There he says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but, but let God, allow God to transform you into a new person. And how would he do that? By changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ, anyone who puts their trust in Jesus has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. One of the questions that I'm often asked from people who are sincerely trying to hear from God is, okay, like Shay, how do I distinguish between God's voice And what are just like my own inner thoughts? It's been said, and you could write this down if you want. It's been said that the Lord's voice is your free flow of thoughts when you are in his presence. The Lord's voice is your free flow of thoughts when you are in his presence. But but that statement, it also makes a couple of assumptions. One, that, that you have placed your trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. As it says here, again, the old life is gone before Christ and the new life has begun in Christ. No longer will I lean on to my own understanding, but instead his. 
The, the, the second assumption, and the importance of this cannot be overstated, is that you have rooted yourself in God's word. This is what meditation is all about. You meditate on his word. So it's important to note that you cannot separate the two. You can't separate silence and solitude from spending time in his word. And meditation, this is important to note, it implies action, not only reflecting on his word, but obeying his word. Initially, and it's okay to acknowledge this, your voice and God's voice are going to sound strikingly similar. And so it leads us to the question, okay, how do you know if that's just like you and your inner thoughts or, or if that's God? And how we answer that is, does it line up with the words of scripture? It's also important to note that, that you were never meant to navigate this on your own. That this is the reason, one of the reasons that God has given us the gift of the local church that you bring some of this stuff like, I think I heard this from God and you bounce this stuff off of other people whom you respect spiritually. You bounce this stuff off of people who are also moving towards Jesus. Ask other people, shoot, ask me. I'm not a public speaker, but again, a pastor. I love getting to walk people through this stuff. In 1 Thessalonians chapter five, another one of Paul's letters, it says there, don't suppress the spirit. And don't stifle those who have a word from the master, who have heard something clearly from God. But on the other hand, Paul acknowledges this, don't be gullible. Check out everything. It's like, well, how do we do that? Through his word. And, and, and keep only what's good. Throw out anything tainted with evil. Translation here, God will never contradict himself. So if you sit me down, and this has actually sadly happened on multiple occasions, and you tell me that God told you to leave your wife for this other woman, God told you to leave your husband for this other man, I will very directly look at you in the eye and say, no, he didn't. I was like, well, I heard that. No, no, you didn't. Because that is not what his word teaches, and God will never contradict himself. Thirdly, Uh, after you have God alone, after you have eliminated those distractions, after you've meditated on his word, ask questions. It's okay to ask questions of God. And I have three questions that I would invite you to begin asking as you get alone, as you eliminate distractions, as you long to hear from God. The first one being this, Lord, is there anything you want me to know about fill in the blank? Whatever it is that you are longing to hear from God about, Lord, Lord, is there anything you want me to know about this financial situation? Lord, is, is there anything you want me to know about this, this job that I'm considering? Lord, is there anything you want me to know about, about my wayward child? Very directly ask him, Lord, is there anything you want me to know? Now, what often happens is people, they get really excited when they're oh my, oh my goodness, like I heard something. God gave me a specific word. He gave me this picture in my head. And, and that's awesome. It's exciting when you hear from God, but oftentimes it's like, what, what does that mean? And it's appropriate to to ask follow-up questions. And very simply, like, what does that mean? Uh, Heavenly Father, how do I apply this? Will you reveal yourself even even further? And and then lastly, I think this is a really good question to ask. Lord, is there anything you want me to do? And, And here's why I think that's important. God rarely speaks in a way where he isn't moving us towards action. It's the whole faith without works is dead bit. So ask him very directly, Lord, is there anything you want me to do? Number four, and this kind of ties all together, write it down. 
as you're longing to hear from God, like journal that first thing that comes to your mind. Draw a picture of the image that he gives in your head. Write down the words that he brings to your mind. Ask follow-up questions as we just talked about based upon that. Write down what you're gonna do as a result of what he just shared. Have some built-in accountability as you write this stuff down. And then number five, and I think this is really, really important, don't force it. Remember, this isn't about, this isn't about performance. And, and if you genuinely don't hear anything, that, that's okay to be honest about that. Go ahead and go back to that quiet place the next day and try again. Just like any earthly relationship, church, it takes time. Think about some of your closest friends. Was, was that relationship built in, in one day? Did, did you walk away like after the first time that you hung out with that person thinking, that's my best friend? No, it, it took time. It, it took regular communication and in fact, lots of time. And, and the same is true with, with your heavenly father. Continue to prioritize that silence and solitude. He will not stay silent forever. He longs to be close to you. But believe it or not, he, he longs to speak to you. So some of you, you really need to hear this. We worship a highly relational, a highly personal, communicative God. If you don't believe that, I would challenge you to actually pick up and read this book for yourself. His personal, relational, communicative posture is, is littered all throughout the scriptures. He doesn't keep his people at an arm's length. If, if that was the case, he, he would have never sent his son. One of my all-time favorite promises from God that I reference all the time because I think it's just so rich and so good for us to remind ourselves of this is that come close to God and God will come close to you. Like we said at the beginning, God's, God's waiting for you. He's waiting for you to push through the pain, to push through those barriers so, so that you might tap into this reservoir of peace, freedom, and intimacy that, that you will never experience otherwise.